0: This time on Chew Diligence, renowned author, TV host, and chef, Lydia Bastianich.
1: I'm part of Kansas City, and I'm 20 years, I'm delighted what happened to the crossroad since 20 years ago. We went to, uh, uh, downtown to look for spaces, and we went to Johnston County to look for spaces, and then I saw this space, and I said, you know, uh, Union Station was across, the trains were passing, and I said, you know, this could be a little piece of Italy in the middle of Kansas City. I, I want to collaborate and work together.
0: It makes everything better and stronger. We are beyond thrilled to have on this episode of Chew Diligence Lydia Bastianich with us today. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva. Lydia, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure, Lindsay. <laughs> And welcome to Kansas City, uh, somewhere you have been for a very long time. Getting ready to celebrate twenty years at Lydia's Kansas City—that's phenomenal. Absolutely, it's like a second home. You know, I come here regularly.
1: Uh, I enjoy it. I'm part of the, shall we say, the city fabrics. You know, do uh, with 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 the journalist, with the the actually the uh, different association and fundraising. I I love doing that as well. Uh, So I'm part of Kansas City, and I'm 20 years, I'm delighted what happened to the
2: crossroad since 20 years ago. It's pretty amazing. I was telling Lindsay that I went to your first press conference, also traveled around with you when you were looking for your space in Kansas City. Um, You guys just posted on your, um, Lydia's Instagram, a photograph of what the freight house looked like back in the day. Shocking. Tell us what you remember about that, because I remember a mud puddle. (laughs) It was. There was a big mud puddle in the middle
1: of the room where the restaurant is now. And that was uh, the whole thing was a freight house, a beer freight house, at least. And it was all abandoned. Uh, And, you know, we went uh, 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 downtown to look for spaces, and we went to Johnston County to look for spaces. And then I saw this space, and I said, you know, uh, Union Station was across, the trains were passing. And I said, you know, this could be a little piece of Italy in the middle of Kansas City. And uh, I liked it. And uh, here we are 20 years later. What do you think about what the neighborhood looks like now, I love it. I love it. Uh, I love it also because I feel, you know, I know I've been uh, attributed. We have Lydia has been attributed as the kind of the kindling point for that area, and uh, you know, certainly on my part, it wasn't a long term plan. You know, I just loved it. But there's something to be said about sensibilities. You know, when I sense something inside in in the heart, I kind of. If I feel good about it, then I, I pursue it. And and then to see all that has evolved. I mean, when we were first there, there were a few scattered uh, uh, art uh, art studios mm-hmm. here and there, you know, uh, a lot of warehouses. and uh, But nonetheless, I figured we had parking. We still have. Yes. Uh, and people will travel for good food. And I said, you
0: know, we'll bring them here slowly. And so we did. Funny you mentioned parking. That's what I said to Jill before the show because it is smack dab in the middle of of such a, an interesting, cool part of town, but very accessible because you can pull right in and mm-hmm. feel like you're a part of it all. Well, that's necessary, you know, especially in a city. Yeah, uh, and people, and
1: I think Kansas City is a big car city. People travel with their car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, and so I said, yeah, they need to have somewhere to park their car, but otherwise. You know, we'll we'll create the uh, the the ambience, the
2: food for them. It's it's worked really well. I'm wondering if you can back up though even further and tell us why Kansas City. We got kinda lucky, there's Olivia's in Kansas City, and there's one in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, right? So I think I think we won the lottery there. <laughs> How did
1: we do that? Uh, well, because I, I, well, let me go back. So you know, we started. I opened my first restaurant in 1971 in Queens, which is a suburb, and then it turned out into two restaurants. We were successful. We sold those. We opened Philidia on 58th Street in Manhattan in 1981, and uh, uh, you know. The kids were growing, the family was growing, and uh, my kids, I always told them not to do this. I told them, you got to get educated, you got to get a real American job. So Joe went, you know, business uh, school, went down to Wall Street, uh, spent there a few years. I mean, it was a good beginning for him, and ultimately came back. You know, one day (laughs) he said, uh, you know, ma... I, I quit. Uh, I says, what? You know, you know, And he said, Mom, you quit a job, a good job on Wall Street. And I said, why? He says, you know, I wasn't happy. And when your child tells you I wasn't happy, I says, okay, hmm. what would you like to do? And this was at Validia at the bar. He says, well, I think I'll hang around here a little bit. I didn't like that. You know, because <laughs> hanging around uh, a restaurant at the bar, you know, all things could happen. But he really wanted to get into the industry. And so when he came in the first thing we did actually I told him go to if you want to do this even though we traveled back and forth to Italy I told him you got to go to Italy for a year up and down work with uh, wine producers he lo- always loved wine what wine producers work in restaurants with friends you know friends of mine and then in a year you'll have a good sense and he did and he came back and uh, when he came back, he worked um uh, at Felidia for a little while with us, myself and my husband and and him, and you know it's a tight space working with with the they always on then uh we he wanted to open his own place. I said, okay, go look for a deal, and we'll move on. Mm-hmm. He did find a deal we had we made open becca hmm. becca on on forty sixth street which is still doing well, but after that you know the, the, he sort of uh, he did well in that restaurant. It was going on, and uh, he came. He says, "You know, Ma, there's a whole America out there. We are focusing here on Manhattan, but there's a whole America that's underserviced in what uh, we we have to give. And I mean, we could we could do. You know, Mid America would would really open their arms to us. And I says, OK, go and look for a space.'" <laughs> so so he did. He went to uh, Columbus, uh, uh, Ohio, and Kansas City. And uh, it, it just so happened who brought him to Kansas City was um, Dave Wagner, our initial partner, and he was in the city. He wanted to come back to Kansas City, and so him and Joe came here, and uh, you know, uh, the, the the fact, the comfort of having somebody work with you that is from the city, and they called me in, and I came, and you know, the, the, to to have a successful restaurant, uh, a city needs a certain. Uh, kind of uh, num- a population. It needs to be also uh, vital in the sense of culturally vibrant, business-wise. You know, there's a lot of good businesses that have been initiated here in Kansas City. So it has that good kind of base, a need for, for restaurants. Uh, you know, these are restaurants' clients, and uh, so we did, you know, we looked around. Uh, the kind of food that we we were uh, uh, serving um, uh, was not being served here in, in Kansas City. You know, the Italian-American food, great food was part of it. And even in our restaurant, we have some Italian-American dishes, but we also did a lot of regional cooking. Sort of more it brought the whole cuisine closer to Italy. And we opened, uh, it was, you know, it was a lot of work because the, the warehouse itself uh, needed a lot. But all, you know, we all kind of worked together and we were very excited 20 years ago. Today we cut the ribbon. That's so exciting.
2: Mm. Um, talk a little bit about, you are the first Italian chef that I, I grew up as an Italian American child and ate Italian American food every once in a while. Um your food was so different. It had so many different elements, and that I had not seen before. Um, explain a little bit about the ingredients. We kind of ran around town looking for some of those ingredients because you needed to know if Kansas City could supply you with the ingredients Well, for your dishes.
1: Well, yeah. The, our our cuisine—well, let's talk about the Italian cuisine. Italy has 20 regions, and when you travel to Italy— uh, uh, there's really 20 different regional cuisines. Every region is very unique. You know, basically the same pasta fagioli or, or uh, spaghetti alla bolognese, but everything is a little different in every region. And uh, uh, the, the, what you mentioned, the Italian-American cuisine was completely different. Com- the Italian-American cuisine was the cuisine of the immigrants, of the early adaptation of these Italian immigrants. And uh, the first immigrants that came here was at the end of the 1800s were from three regions, basically. It was from Calabria, from Sicily, and from uh, Campania, which is around Naples. So the Italian-American cuisine is basically rooted in those three regions, lots of tomatoes and uh, peppers and spiciness. So when those immigrants came, they wanted to cook what they remember, they knew, but they didn't find all the ingredients, the proper ingredients, and the adaptation. Of their cuisine, of what they remembered, with the ingredients that they found. Ultimately, uh, the Italian American cuisine evolved. It's a great cuisine. It's a cuisine of the of an immigrant of the immigrants. It's a it's a good cuisine, but it is a an American story, if you will. And so, what where we were different is that we brought some of the regional cuisine into it, which made a difference. And we, for to do that, you need. The traditional ingredients, and with 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 Cody Hogan, who is now the chef, you know, we went. You remember to the market in the morning, yes. looking for the greens. We even brought seeds to the farmers because we needed mm-hmm. the arugula. There was no arugula available at that time, wow. and so on. So we really got involved in in getting the right products. But now, you know, you can have just about everything here, which is great.
2: There's there's one ingredient though that you have done an awful lot for, and I think people don't realize, um, pork from this region. When You and I went out to uh, Paradise Mm -hmm. about two years ago, and I'm not sure that you even knew exactly how much you would help this region bring those heritage pigs back to the table. Well, uh, absolutely, because, you
1: know, I grew up in a a setting um, where... With with grandma, it was—let uh, me just maybe historically uh, place myself. So uh, I was born in Istria, and if you go all the way up by Venice, even further north, Friuli, Venezia, Giulia is the region. Istria is not part of Croatia, but it was Italy, and when the war finished, uh, Italy lost. That part was all given to communist Yugoslavia. So we were caught behind communism for about the first 10 years of my life. And uh, food was scarce. But, you know, the Italians, they all had their gardens. Grandma had her goats, her ducks, her pigs. We had two pigs every year and her chickens and the fresh uh, vegetables, seasonal vegetables. So we made our own olive oil, our own wine. So I was very much, you know, used to having those seasonal local great ingredients in a cuisine, you know, as much as we taught the – Highlight the chefs today is about the product. You know, it's – it's yeah. It's the farmers. If I don't Mm -hmm. have the product, I can know all the techniques I want. It's not going to come out. So for me, it was always essential to find out that product because – it was almost a selfish region. I know that it would come out good if I had those good products, but it was the way to eat, the way I was raised. And so, yes, we went around, and we had also, we went to visit here
2: the, 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 uh, the turkeys. Uh, what's his name? Frank Reese, um, yes. out in Lindsborg. Yes, Kansas, with him. Good, shep, uh, good Shepherd Farms.
1: Exactly, he still does, you know. So I was interested in all of this—the free range, these 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 animals that were able, the chickens that were able to eat the grasshoppers and all of this, because it really gives a different taste and mm. a different—and that's the way uh, nature should be. That's the way we should eat. And here in Kansas, when we came, uh, the 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 uh, if you will. Uh, the outside, the greens, the, the the fields were much more accessible than they were in New York. So I had an opportunity to touch the farmers, and I loved it, and that's how it all began. And then the, once we got it from here, I got them to bring the meat to New York, to my restaurants in New York, and so on. And now, you know, it's, they're distributed all over, uh, not only them, but—and uh, so it's, it's very important. And I, I must say now that uh, most of the chefs are really conscious— uh, of uh, and appreciate farmers and, uh, you know, uh, animal uh, uh, husbandry done properly and all of that, the meats. It's it's all about, you know, living well, eating well, and also being uh, in touch with our environment.
2: And you grew up with your Nona and you were very in touch with the environment. Tell us a little bit about growing up as a young child on a farm. Well, yes. I think, you know, I just came out and I think, you know, with my memoirs,
1: with you know, people exactly questions like this. You know, yes, Lydia, you're a chef. We love your recipes. What? Where did you get all of this? Where did it all come from? And uh, um, I did grow up on this farm because communism was oppressive. So my mother put my brother and myself with grandma and we lived in this little town. And so you had to do everything that needed to be done to feed the animals in the morning milk the goats that was our breakfast goat's milk you know and i remember you know with the with the with the the, the, the foam never mind cappuccino today i had <laughs> yeah, cappuccino straight the natural version <laughs> absolutely straight from the goat and uh, and then you know every november there was the slaughter of the pigs you know and uh, two of them and they provided Food for the rest of the year because, you know, the pigs were—the meat was cured, whether it was bacon, whether it was sausages, whether it was salami, whether it was the prosciutto. Every piece of the animal we cured and we preserved. Uh, Grandma did. I mean, you know, we were—I was a little helper running around. But that remained so ingrained in me, that appreciation. And um, uh, after—in 1956, 10 years after— uh, my parents decided that it was time to move on, that they couldn't raise us there. We escaped back into Italy, lived in Tri- Trieste where we had family also for two years in a, in a political refugee camp. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the trek for food and with food for me was diversified, you know, as I grew up. But um, what when, when we left Istria, I was not aware that we were not going to come back. And uh, once we were in Italy, I realized. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I miss because I didn't say goodbye to grandma, to, to my animals, to whatever. So I think that food remained my connector. Uh, you know, every time I would go back and I would cook things that smell like grandma did, hmm. I, it brought grandma back to me. And so food remained in my heart and my soul. And it is my way of communicating until this
0: day. Those involuntary memories are so powerful. Yeah. How long were you in the refugee camp? We were there for two years. What was it like trying to find food then? Was it dramatically different, I'm sure?
1: Well, in the refugee camp, you, you had your own little bowl, and we would go online, you know, wait for, for them to, to rationize, ration food to you. And uh, I remember it was vividly, it was always a spaghetti or tomato sauce, and then a little piece of cheese, maybe an apple, and And so you know food was uh, uh, rationed literally uh we were We were uh, fortunate because we had some relatives in the city, but we had to live in the camp uh, because we were refugees, and uh, my parents decided that maybe we should migrate on because Italy was difficult but We did have some of the relatives that would supplement with food. So, you know, from my 10 to 12 years, you know, there was the need for food in a sense, you know, the want, the desire for food and so on. Uh, And then, you know, ultimately in 58, uh, we got our visa to come to the United States. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower was the president, I always recall. And here we had nobody either. So we were brought here by the Catholic Relief Services. And and you know that's why I feel I feel such need to give back because people really helped my family. So we we got to New York and they put us in a hotel uh, until they found a job for my father and a little home for us. Uh, that was about six weeks into our arrival, and uh, we began our life being helped by the Catholic Relief Services, Red Cross, and. The, the neighborhood, and uh, where we ended up was in New Jersey. It was a very Italian neighborhood. And so the Italian community really rallied up, and they brought us food, they brought us chairs, they brought us napkins, everything, you know, to kind of uh, uh, fill our house. And uh, ultimately, you know, from there on, you know, as a, as a child, you know, the opportunity of school, of finally having a home, or finally feeling safe someplace... And uh, um, uh, you know the opportunities. Like I always say, you know, would I have done this had I not been the immigrant and gone through all that I went? Maybe yes, maybe no. But there's a drive in me, you know, that I guess still is there. You have an opportunity. You got to, you know, you're given this opportunity. You got to take care. You got to make the best out of it. You got to work at it, and you got to. And I think that's what drives me till this day.
2: You had two pivotal um, stories when you were in Italy that re- I remember from reading your autobiography just recently. The one is that you were starting to catalog food in your memory. You did not have, you had rations, but you were starting to catalog, you told me, what your grandmother had served you. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> from there, you also worked for the nuns. And I think. Is that kind of the first hands-on in a kitchen that you might have? It, it is really, you had? know.
1: Besides uh, helping grandma, you know, making the breads and whatever, she would get me involved. That was uh, uh, working with the nuns while we were in the in the camp. Uh, there was uh, uh, an actually uh, a very altruistic woman, and my mother was an elementary school teacher, and this woman had three children and one of them was autistic and so she uh, came to the camp and asked if there is uh, an instructor or something that she could use as as for the home for to take care of her child and so my mother was a teacher she took her on and my mother kind of worked part-time and this woman in turn paid for my schooling with with the nuns And so I would get out of the camp, her and I, my mother and I would get out of the camp. She would go to her, to the home of (coughs) this Signora Leonori, and I would go to the school. And in the school, uh, uh, again, to to sort of help to supplement, I guess, uh, they would put me in the morning when I would come in early and in the afternoon after I would wait for my mother or even at lunchtime in the kitchen. And I would peel apples, whatever. But it was the first commercial kitchen, big pots, big big pans. The nuns cooking in their habits, actually. For me, it was very, you know, it was kind of the first experience in a, in a commercial kitchen, if you will. And I kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. But going back to to that to that uh, library of flavors, I would, you know, um, why do I have such a strong recall? I think, you know, food and and aromas and all of that. Give you a strong recall anyway, but I was trying to always retrieve the memories with grandmother and the flavor, and so you know I would kind of file away in my in my library all of these flavors, and I would really look for them because they reminded me, they brought me back to to grandma and to that courtyard, and till this day, as part of my flavor reference library, uh, I must say when I cook, I kind of try to recall and try to recreate those flavors not always do they come out the same but yes they are my my I have since increased my library <laughs> keep increasing it every
0: every day if I can but yeah that was the beginning is there one flavor that still instantly takes you back there is there one that's the strongest
1: oh there is you know especially the herbs hmm. um, the rosemary the bay leaves because grandma would always uh, kind of send me out, to go and and get the herbs that she needed but you know we had and so when you cut bay leaves like that fresh your hand smells but it not for the whole day of that bay leaf mm. we used to have this uh, uh, rosemary kind of hedges and as kids we used to play hide and seek and we would insert ourselves in this rosemary hedges and again you would smell for, 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 <laughs> for a few days because, you know, you didn't Strong take— one, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: And so those are the flavors that, you know, kind of fresh herbs flavors. Oh, my goodness. Were you allowed to leave freely from the camp, or was the fact that your mom had a job, like, the reason you guys could leave? Yeah, no, no, we were not allowed to leave, just go out.
1: You need to get a permission where you're going and uh, why you're going. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so we were under— you know, it had a regular, like, like a, a guard with a door wow. for people to come and go. I mean, you know, uh, other kids went to, to schools, I guess, and uh, people in and
0: out. But you had to be uh, registered to so go in and out. Really was an incredible opportunity with the nuns in the kitchen and everything. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of my—and my, uh, uh, then sort of, a, you know, food always—
1: and of made me feel good. Mm. Uh, the preparation of food, the nurturing, that's what I loved. And uh, I guess it brought me to where I am today.
2: Have you ever thought about what would your life have been if you had actually ended up in another country besides coming to the United States and I, how that would have been a very I, different situation for you?
1: I, I travel a lot. I love traveling because, you know, and I do. I do think, you know, even... Um, if I would have remained in Italy, how would have, you know, life, then that would, I would have been a natural there, certainly uh, uh, an Italian. And I, I think that uh, in retrospect, when I think about it, I don't think that I would have ever achieved or had the opportunities that I had or had and still have in the United States, any place in the world.
2: So this truly is your American dream.
1: It certainly is. That's the name of my book, and it is my American dream.
2: It's a wonderful book. Thank Tell you. us a little bit more when you got here and you started to realize that cooking would actually be um, your profession because in, in the times that you were growing up, sometimes women were just having families and not having careers, and you you went full force and have become a major force.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that I... Yeah, I didn't realize that that was going to be my career, you know? I thought, you know, going to school, the academics, uh, my mother was a teacher. I loved the sciences, uh, and I thought that I was going to go in that direction. But, uh, you know, uh, I came here, needed to help the family. First, when my mother was was working uh, i cooked a lot for the family being in young 12 13 you know she would leave me like all the set the beans are soaking this and i put this to cook cook for half an hour add that to it and i would make uh, dinner and then uh, you know i began working part-time uh, at 14 uh, i started in in uh, in the bakery which was across the street it was actually Walken's Bakery, Christopher Walken and his family. The Christopher Walken. Exactly. We're still friends. Uh, that's, and he would come on the weekends, too. He had two bro- three brothers. Uh, there were three brothers. They would all come and help. I would work on a weekend. But, you know, I realized that food was—I loved, I loved. yes, kind of selling it. But also I would go in the back when somebody needed a birthday cake or something and decorate it, learn from the, from the pastry chefs. I love that. And uh, then when I went to, to college in the city— Uh, restaurants, working in restaurants, kind of, you know, like everybody else does. And I always ended up in the back, the chef was gone or something, making a pasta or something. So I realized that, uh, you know, I I did that with ease and I loved it. But what really turned it around, I think, is, you know, I met my husband who was also an immigrant. He was in the restaurant business. He was um, uh, actually a maitre d' in Romeo Salta, which was a, a prestigious Italian restaurant in Manhattan. And that's when I kind of began to to get ever more, you know, he would take me to these good restaurants. And uh, I got to know, I said, this is, you know, I really would love, I would love to know how to do that. I would love to know how to do that. And then, um, you know, we had uh, our child, Joseph, first, and he wanted to open the restaurant, my, my husband. And uh, in 1971, this small restaurant, and I told him, I'll help you. But I wasn't certainly a chef at that time. But I had this passion I loved. We, at that time, we, t- we took on, we hired an Italian-American chef because that's what was popular, the cuisine that was popular. And uh, um, I decided that I wanted to learn more. So I became his sous chef. And for 10 years, I worked with him in the kitchen, in our kitchen. And uh, uh, there, I really honed my skills as a chef. And and I began to insert these recipes that were regional that we cooked at home, and what I noticed was that people would be curious about them. We would make like polenta, and uh, we would bring. I would bring out to the tables to like polenta with venison guanciale. You know, that's <laughs> in the seventies that was that. You know, but I would bring for to tables to taste without charge and let them order what they want. And so I began to get this feedback. This is great stuff, and feedback also. On my own capabilities. And uh, in 1981, we sold. By then, we had two restaurants, and we opened Felidia, and there I became the chef. And I began cooking regional Italian food.
2: But Felidia almost did not open. Uh, (laughs) You (coughs) know, this is, yeah. scary to think that it almost didn't open. Well, we almost, we invested everything
1: we had gotten out of selling those two, plus my mother's money, everything, you know, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we were not used to uh, going over budget. We had made a budget. We thought that we would uh, fit into it. But uh, the home needed underpinning this, all things that we did not plan on. And these are big expenses. And so financially we almost didn't open it. And even when we did open it, decide to open it, uh, we left the unfinished parts, kind of the, the cellar, the background, a lot of unfinished parts. So we can finish the dining room. I can have my my range, uh, my stoves, and I can cook. And uh, uh, we we opened, and uh, you know, it was it was a good opening. Uh, people right away came to visit, some of the old customers, new ones, the press.
2: And some really famous people. We <laughs> need to talk about some of the really famous people that sat at your table. I think one of them was Julia Child and the other was James Beard. They came together. <laughs> you know,
1: they, or, and they're both two towering figures. Oh. They were big when they entered through <laughs> the door. You know, I look over, But they did. And they were curious about what was this Italian woman chef cooking this different Italian food. And specifically, Julia Child, she wanted to know the risotto. She wanted me to teach her how to make the risotto, and it was a mushroom risotto. I remember. And so we kind of—they came back a few times, and we became friends. She came over the house. I gave her a lesson in risotto. She knew how to uh, uh, make risotto from then on. She invited me on her show, which was the Master Chef series. And ultimately, that's where I kind of. Uh, got the, the offer from the producer, you know, Lydia, you're pretty good. How about your own show? <laughs> and so and so you went.
2: And thirty years later, PBS has been your home for mm-hmm. all those years. It has. Um were you nervous about going on TV at the first time?
1: You know, uh I I I was in a sense uh, but um, I had been invited here, and you I know the specialty shows and this, and, and uh, um, I kind of focused a lot on what I did. You know, I think not so much on the performance. It's not, you know, I'm not an actress or actor. I, you know, what, I do what I do, but I am a communicator. I love to communicate. I love to teach. I love to share, and uh, I must say that Julia really encouraged me a lot, you know, and uh, when when uh, we decided that I was going to do that, the, the two things was I wanted to be on PBS, and the second was that we film in my home.
0: Mm.
1: Now, my home was precisely because I was comfortable in my home. You know, in a studio, I didn't know how to handle a studio. So they agreed, and they came into my house. My house was wrecked because they all <laughs> kinds of uh, uh, wires and equipment, but— I cooked comfortably. I was on my stove. I knew where my knife was. I knew where, you know, how to handle everything. And so it began like that, very much in comfort in my home, sharing what I love to do and the history of it. Was that
2: common to do that in a home at that time? No.
1: No, no. It was not. It was not. Although Julia did some of – and, I, you know, everything that I kind of initially is uh, in Julia's kind of mimicking
0: or – but she encouraged me. She did a lot of shows out of her kitchen, too. It's lovely that she just wanted to lift up another woman instead of seeing it as any kind of competition. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, she was she was so giving, hmm. uh, you
1: know, and even the style that she thought because, um, you know, a lot of times chefs go out there on television and they produce this uh, elaborate thing. And, yes, beautiful to look, but f- for the viewer, what benefit do they get? Uh, she was always uh, concerned that the viewer would be able to cook, to do what she does. Hmm. And I said, that's the way it should be. You know, if you're showing something that you love to do, you want other people to do it. You want to be an instructor instructor for them. And she yeah, she was the one that really set the example as far as
0: me uh, in my show. And since then, I mean, cooking shows have exploded and so many people come and gone. And you are very much ever present. Is it is it your authenticity? Is it the keeping the recipes simple? What do you think it is? I I think it's all of those things. I think
1: that uh, you know, um, I look at it. You know, if if a person a viewer gives me half an hour of their time watching me, I better leave them with something. I better give them something to take away, to make it their worthwhile and to feel that connection. And I think that's what connects. Us, me and my viewers, is the fact that they know that they'll get something from Lydia and then that they can bring Lydia's flavor into their kitchen. Lydia's flavors mean Italian flavors because, you know, I haven't invented anything. It's, it's all about Italy. And uh, uh, so uh, I think that uh, it's, it's uh, very important kind of respecting and connecting with the viewer and always bringing them something that's interesting, something is new and simplified. Understand, uh, you know, uh, I'm always concerned because I want them to do it at home. And, uh, uh, you know, a simple way of doing it, you can cook very simple and still be very delicious. That's what Italian cuisine is all about it's the products get the best products and then simple. And uh, you know, maybe some chefs feel insecure in giving the simplicity away because they say, you know, oh, he does not cook. Or she, I you know, it's not about this is what the culture is and uh, if if I can simplify it and still bring the the flavor and the deliciousness to the viewer, then I made my point.
0: And you know, last time you were here cooking with us, uh, I you, the complex of the flavors is amazing, but you're not afraid to show, I didn't know that you didn't rinse pasta. I mean, I feel like I can kind of decently cook, but when you didn't do that and use the pasta water, I was like, oh, of course, you know, just something simple like that. Exactly. Those are simple things. And people sometimes, you know, if that's not their,
1: uh, their culture, their native culture, or if that's not their profession, I kind of feel a little bit out of place. Mm. But once... You bring show it to them. Yeah, that's logical.
0: So easy. Yeah, so you know, obvious. Yeah, I kind of, <laughs>
1: I, I I kind of validate the whole thing, don't I? <laughs>
0: right. Absolutely.
2: Are there um, any up and coming uh, food TV chefs or whatever, whatever station people who are doing food that you are excited about who are of the next generation?
1: I I think that there's a lot of you know there was the whole thing of fanfare and sensationalism of food and whatever. And um, did that all have value? Does it still have value? I always say, you know, it's it's not the way I teach or would. But what it has done, it has brought attention to food outside. So people, even if they were looking at it just in a fun way, then maybe they got caught uh, and said, oh, maybe let me let me go a little deeper. Let me find out. And I think that, you know, now with Netflix and Google and all of that, there's a lot of good shows, cooking shows coming. And it's about uh, maybe individual philosophies of cooking, individual cultures, uh, individuals' passions. And I think it's it, there's a lot of good shows that are coming out. They're focusing uh, and teaching the viewer, whether it is, you know, how the food is grown, where does it come from, how certain cultures use it. You know, it's beautiful to see also the passion of certain young chefs. How do they get into into this business, you know? And, and that's very important for young people out there that, you know, are kind of thinking about uh, getting in this industry or, for that matter, in, in any other industry. You know, if you have a passion and if you love something – pursue it see give it but you know it's all about a lot of hard work and and dedication and all of that so i think that there's a lot of good shows uh, coming up there's uh, travel involved in with food so that places food around the universe you know you get to connect more the 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 culture with the actually Country, topography, climate, and the people, and this. so uh, there's a lot going on with food that uh, that I love. I, you know, I think the, the the actually connecting the world through food and understanding because people when they go travel today. It's not, you know, what are the sites only I'm going to see? What are the restaurants I'm going to eat in? <laughs> oh right Absolutely. There yes. you go. It is part of vacation now. Exactly. So you get to know into that culture, into that, you know, the markets are important. So I think there's a lot of good shows that are valid shows that are coming
2: out that are teaching different aspect of food to the viewer. Is there the next Lydia, though? Have you have you spotted anyone? <laughs> because Obviously, Julia spotted you, and I'm curious if you're seeing anyone out there that you're particularly um, a champion of, or, or think they're really doing a great job.
1: I I think so. Uh, I think there there are. You know, uh, I certainly uh, of 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 my time. Uh, I, I'm looking. I'm, I'm very critical. I must say, you know, because <laughs> sure. in a sense, no, no, you want you want uh whoever that might be to really be true to themselves and you want them to be uh, you know and, and at the same time you want them to be instructive so i think i think that there 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 are uh um uh out there uh, i'm i'm looking there's this this young i think israeli uh woman that's that's coming up that i'm checking out i think she has you know the guts of a simple straightforward cuisine
0: it's so interesting you talk about travel and how food is such a part of that now. What's your advice to someone? Because I find, you know, it's difficult to find that on your own, the authentic experience when you're going somewhere. What do you do when you're traveling if it's someplace you've never been? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is. You
1: go to, uh, you know, any any connections that you have within that country, it's always good. You know, the press is always kind of snooping around. So if you know anybody <laughs> uh, uh, in the press there, you could... But, the markets. If you go to the markets, uh, the food markets, you know, just where the natives go. Ask where is what is the Saturday morning market in 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 uh, I don't know in uh, in in India or in anywhere you want to go, and you go there, and you just observe. just what are the natives buying? What are they eating? And then if somebody can, I usually you know talk to the vendors or talk to the you know. A product. How do you use this product? What do you do with it? In Italy, mind you, you know, even still in Italy, you know, uh, uh, I uh, <laughs> I recall not too long ago, I was and there was a mound of fennel and there was this small farmer. His 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 nails were full of of the earth still, you know, you know, <laughs> really, really. And but he looked so happy with his little heart. And I said, how how do you cook your fennel? And he says. Cooked the fennel, and he told me in Italian, "Un uh, il finocchio cotto non vale un fico secco." So I mean, cooked fennel is not worth a dried fig. <laughs> Evidently, he never <laughs> cooked his fennel. He loved the crunching it and raw and whatever. And this is a guy that you know. And so it made me think. Yes, you know, if you take a nice crispy fennel and you munch on it, and you get all that licorice, that sweetness. That the, When you cook it, it's a different, you know, you lose a lot. So talking to the people that actually grow it or in there more about their product will, will take you
0: someplace. Is that fun, just continuing to develop even how you cook I mean, with ingredients like that? Oh, continuous. It's, yeah. it, that's what's beautiful about food is a continuous ev-
1: evolution. Uh, food, you know, evolves, one would say, fast if you look at the uh, uh, all the different cuisines, the foam, the chemical. But the real food evolution is a slow evolution. But it does evolve. So uh, now what we're seeing, I think, here is the evolution basically health-wise. What I saw from my grandmother to now is the use of fats. That was the big one. You know, she used a lot of the pork fats and all of that, which is you know, now it's uh, basically oil and all of that. But what I see in America, and I love, is this reverting back yes. to the seasonality, to the local products, to the uh, appreciating really the farmers, the... the Uh, You know, the the cheesemakers, I mean, they're uh, they're sprouting all over the United States, which is wonderful.
2: You have um, another family member that's very involved with what you do, and we haven't talked about her yet, your daughter, Tanya. Tell us how she is part of um, what you do. And also, I saw that your granddaughter is going to be on a show coming up. So are we keeping it all in the family? Well,
1: let's let's start with the last one first. Uh, my grandkids and my family, you know, house the show was taped in the house. Whoever passed by, I would pull in, and so they were small. They were part of it. My mother, and now they're big. Now they're, and then there was a period, you know, when they kind of want no part of it. <laughs> now they're away into in college, in high school, Now they want to be on the show. They love it because that's, I guess, maybe they feel who they are. But also, you know, their, show, their friends see them and, and you know, and they are interested in food because food has been their life. So, you know, I do all the tapes, all the showings that I do um, on this latest, uh, just came out in October, taping that we did. Four of my five grandchildren are on. Hmm. They were able to make the, 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 the taping and grandma's on and whatever. And yes, my daughter, Tanya. Now... My son, I tell you the story that he—my daughter, Tanya, also, you know, education, you don't want to do this and whatever. And she did. She went on uh, Georgetown master's, ultimately a Ph.D. from Oxford Ow. in Renaissance yeah. Art History. So she's Ow. really into into her education. And yet uh, when she decided to—she was teaching in Italy while doing her dissertation, uh, got married to Corrado. Love him. He's a Roman. And uh, when they were ready to have a family, they wanted to move back close to home. And so they got a home very close to where we live. And, uh, you know, she became pregnant and as as she kind of was taking care of her motherly expectations like <laughs> you are. Um, she would help me. I says, you know, I need help. I need help with my books. I need help with my television. I need, and that's what she does uh she she is a co-author in the and the cookbooks with me she researches she does a lot of the photography she does uh, uh the testing of the of the recipe and a lot of the the kind of uh, written research historical uh the production of the shows the same thing the research and all that and she's actually taking over uh Kansas City she is regularly here loves it comes back and collaborates with everybody and kind of has brought in a a new um, uh, air of of freshness of the Bastianich family, if you will. And she loves it, too. Her kids are are getting bigger and uh, are off to college, one of them. One is in high school, and so she has more time. And, you know, this is what she's been doing for the last 15 years with me, so she's just continuing. And I was so delighted, you know, because it's because of, both of my children, that I'm able to grow and to do what I do. I couldn't have done all of this myself. And then, of course, it's the whole team and a tremendous team of people in each place that kind of believe in what we do, and uh, it's a good collaboration.
2: And you have a change at the restaurant that we wanted to talk about, which is Cody Hogan has been promoted. I think he's always been doing Fabulous work, but he's yeah, taken Cody the Hogan, reins, hasn't he? Cody
1: Hogan is a great individual, very talented, and he's with us twenty years. And uh, um, although he is, he has a master's in 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 music, in piano. He loves cooking, and uh, he began with the pastry. Uh, um, Uh, department. I remember that. Yeah, and the sous chef, chef the cuisine, and ultimately now he's the chef. And I think he earned it, he deserves it, and he is so happy. and He's excited to bring, you know, his own uh, kind of uh, flavors to or touch to the... uh, moving on with Lydia's and the things that we're going to do there.
2: And how does that work? You know, it's your vision, it's your food, it's your name. Right. (laughs) Um, But then you also have to give someone autonomy to
1: to keep them, right? There's too many yours in your question. Okay. (laughs) It's ours. It is. It's, you know, you do set a platform. uh, You do set a philosophy, you know, that philosophy, which is the same as his. He's been, him and I have been parallel on the philosophy That's why we sort of started together. That's why he is with me 20 years. He is the one that identified the farmers and that we went to farmers and continues to communicate with the farmers and get the products. So I think, you know, that's on the same level. Uh, He has traveled with me to Italy many times, comes to New York. And so he knows, you know, what is kind of a, uh, a, shall we say, a Bastianich profile, a family profile of food to that. You know he has to have the freedom to add something that he sees on his own because, you know, this is a bright mind, uh, and uh, uh, you know, you wanna you wanna use that mind. As, I I wanna
0: collaborate and work together. It makes everything better and stronger. Twenty years for any restaurant is an amazing feat. How do you keep it fresh? Is that is that a conscious decision at certain time intervals, or are you just constantly looking at the menu? What do you do? It's all of those. You know, you need to uh,
1: update everything. Yeah. Uh, you need to update the the looks of the restaurant. We just redid all of the bar. Hmm. Uh, and now there's dining at the bar, you know, around uh, especially the big cities, whatever. Dining at the bar is in, so we did all of that uh, we enlarged um on the patio we made an extra room uh for for uh catering and parties and extension of the dining room so we have that extra uh, space a new space uh we Continuously have new ideas for events, you know, whether it's different wine tastings, whether it's seasonal product like the tomato dinner, whether it's we'll have a producer of of the pork, like the prime family come in and talk about their pork and make a whole dinner uh, of the pork. And it also is about, you know, changing the menu regularly, seasonally, certainly. Reflecting again, all of those farmers and all of that making dinners around those farmers is very important, and uh, um, uh, making making you know. So, what else is is new? What's happening in the food world? What's happening in Italy? You got to bring that innovation, you know, because people like to expect certain things at certain time of the year. And if they see it, if they go to LA and they see it, they want it in Kansas City, and. We are there to do just that, to make sure that we are kind of ahead of the curve, almost uh, push the curve, if you will.
2: You um, talked a little bit earlier about charities and the work that you do. And I know you have a specific uh, charity that you do a lot of work with, Your Boys Grow. um, And you also have a goat named in your honor, correct? <laughs>
1: I do. There's a Lydia hopping around. <laughs> <laughs> the the Boys Grow Farm.
2: Uh, uh, it's uh, You've been there sir. I have and had dinner out there and I've, uh, worked with the boys actually just this year out at Powell Gardens. They came to sell at an event and had a great time with uh, introducing them to a little bit of a different setup of botanical gardens. Um, had a great time and hope to, be working with them again. Why Boys Grow, though? Well, it's, because... There's so many great groups. You know,
1: sometimes in life, you just opportunities, again, come. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think uh, when Boys Grow first started, John, uh, who is the founder, uh, came to Philidia and was brought to Philidia and says, Lydia, you know, you, need, you should talk to John. And I said, sure. And John was telling me about this concept that he had of bringing inner-city kids Especially in the summer, bringing them out to the farm, teaching them the, the the growing of food of products, teaching them how to till the land, teaching them how to harvest, teaching them a responsibility, how to uh, uh, out of that products that they ha- the product that they've harvested uh, develop a product, tomato, make it into salsa, how to label it, how to sell it. So it's a whole cycle of an opportunity of teaching this, this uh, 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 inner-city kids. In most cases, you know, just a single-family homes, difficulties in the summer. And he has a, he makes a budget where he even pays them a little something. But these kids just love it. They're out on the farm. They're appreciating because they're going to grow up, hopefully, to be responsible individual, to appreciate their environment. And that's what we need in today's world: people that understand, that coexist with the environment, uh, learning how to be kind of productive, work hard, responsible, on time. Uh, then, inventive, if you will, design a label. Can you imagine? Make the sauce. Uh, actually, as we are speaking, I think uh, they're just building
2: a, a school and a kitchen there. That is what I heard, and uh, they're very. The boys were very excited about it. But I also have to say, they're amazing sales. They are really learning how to speak to their customer and engage them and uh, really talk about, I was, I was very impressed. It's very hard sometimes to get Teens to look you in the eye, let alone right. right. Yeah, <laughs> sell their product. Uh, they were working hard to get me to buy one of every one of their oh, products. Were they? <laughs> <laughs> so they achieved their their, their yeah. I think I, I think I took you know four of the five. Yes, because <laughs> I, I said okay. I I knew that one of them. I said I have that at home, so I'll, I'll take the other four. And the young man said, "Great." Got it. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they are. Will that be by cash or card?
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. There you go. Get that money in. Uh, But, you know, we do uh, at least once a year an event for them. uh, And I think this year we always, as Lydia's, would would uh, supply the food we had it at lydia's the first two years then we had it out on the farm and this year for the first year they had other restaurants involved which is great they're extending it into the community and uh, and uh, the community is really beginning to support them but what was great at this event you see these kids get up there and present a speech and whatever and that's also a lesson in life how hmm. do you approach how
2: do you communicate And on top of that, what they make is really good. (laughs) Well, absolutely. You know? Yeah. I'm really enjoying them on the jalapeno mustard right now. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Good, good. Good. Test them out. Yeah. So when you're in Kansas City, you're very busy. We know you come in fairly frequently. But I learned something about you that I didn't know, that you sometimes slip over to the Kaufman to see some opera. I I do. I love classical music. Actually,
1: when the Kaufman Center was in its beginning, we even had fundraisings for the for the orchestra. Actually, the whole uh, and uh, you know, again, uh, I I, that nurtures me. Art, if you will, music nurtures me, and it's important to have it as part of, of a community. And. On the other side, these are also the customers that, you know, so it just benefits everybody. Uh, So, yes, I think you have a fantastic, the acoustics there are phenomenal. So it's a great, great addition to Kansas City. It's been now a few years, but it's great. Yes, we get involved.
2: What is your favorite opera? I'm curious. Do you have a favorite?
1: You know, I have, um, you know, every time I go see a good one, I say, okay, it's a good, it's a good prima donna or whatever. I say, oh, that's my favorite. I love Verdi. And uh, a personal uh, connection for me is uh, uh, Nabucco. Hmm. Nabucco is uh, an opera, uh, maybe not known as much, uh, but it is uh, an opera of the, the um, exile of the Jews from Egypt. And, uh, you know, they have a chorus. It's one of the most beautiful choruses in operatic music. It's a chorus usually of 200 voices. And it's actually when they're singing, the aria is va pensiero, go thoughts. And the go thoughts, va pensiero, dorate, on golden wings, and it's um, a thought of the land that they leave behind. And as immigrants, uh, the Istrians adopted this as their hymn. And whenever, you know, even here in America, when the Istrian community would go, go get together, the song "Vappenciero," this this kind of uh, yeah, core, core, chorus uh, rendition of it, would always come out. So I, I am very attached to that opera. But I love the 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 the, the, the aria and the chorus when it, it's
0: it's it makes me shiver. Do you ever have time when you're here to eat anywhere else? Do you have a spot that you love? Well. This morning I went for breakfast
1: at Sukkotash. Oh, <laughs> do you like that place? Oh, yes. Yes. yes, great okay.
0: pancakes.
1: Yeah, I had a, I had a an addition of a pancake which which was like <laughs> a moon <Huge>. the size <laughs> of a harvest moon. <laughs> <laughs> it was so big, you know. So yes, we did, and uh, um, was it? I think it's uh, a Be- uh, what's the name? Uh, the owner Beth. 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 Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She was so adorable. She came over. And so it was nice. It was, it was nice to see also there was a lot of young students there, I guess, from the k- schools there. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. I try. I try to get to as much as, but on, on you know, the peak hours, lunch and dinner, uh, I, I stay at, at
2: Lydia's. Sure. And tonight you have a very special dinner. What will be on that dinner celebrating your 20th anniversary?
1: Well, celebrating our 20th anniversary on this gala dinner will be the all-time favorites, plus the new ones. So the frico is going to be there. Uh, the stuffed cabbage is going to be there. The chicken with lemon and olives is going to be there. The um, orso buco, the pork orsobuco is going to be there. Uh, then, of course, we have the pasta trio. And gnocchi with duck guazzetto is going to be on it. So there's going to be the traditional, plus some of the new additions. One
2: of my favorites is the pulpy Polpo. That's going to be there. It's yeah. going to be there? <laughs> oh, sure. Okay. Oh, sure. Octopus and potato and uh, frisee salad. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. Yeah. It's so unusual. It's, you know, I mean, you just don't find that in every restaurant. So. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, it's, good flavor. That's an old recipe my grandmother used to make. Uh, she she didn't
1: elaborate as much, but it was octopus, potatoes, and onions, and oil and vinegar dressing.
0: And, uh, you know, that goes back to that memory recall, if you will.
2: Absolutely.
0: Does that make it so much more special when you are cooking with your own grandkids?
2: Uh,
0: it, uh, it's you know cooking uh, with with them. It's uh, for that matter, you know whether it's
1: grandma or or mother or father is the connection because food is a connector, uh, and uh, uh, you are teaching them. You know, with food, you can teach so many things. You can, you know, I certainly tell them, share them my stories the philosophy of you know not wasting anything how food uh, wasn't so available for us how how we respected how we ate seasonal so you know it's in in a, in a sort of setting very simple that you can tell them uh, many things and uh, you know express this this kind of uh, affection and nurturing uh, desire but also i think um, food uh, gives roots gives stability uh, it identifies you with who you are. You know, we all have, I guess, at our holiday dinners, there's one or two foods that come that are very family traditional. And, you know, they might not be uh, as next door, even though it's Thanksgiving, yours might be different. But what it does, it kind of transcends generations, and you carry it on from one generation to the other within your family. But what it does, it gives you that strength and that root that you belong, that this is the flavor that ties you with your ancestors, with your cousins, even though you might not be talking to them or whatever. But it's a, it's a connector.
0: <laughs> it's your family history. You're <laughs> exactly. so right about that, exactly. especially on the holidays. When you look back, what's your pinch-me moment? Pinch-me moment? It's oh your my, big
1: wow moment. Oh, my God, my big wow moment. I think there's, there's many... Uh, uh certainly you know again uh the 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 grandchildren having to do something with with uh whether it is that meal whether it is you know their achievement whether it is seeing them uh uh graduate especially i mean the, that's uh, the the wild wow moment for me as far as a personal a professional uh is that wow moment is when the dish comes the way that i imagine it, it comes even better. And then when I feed somebody, I can see that in their face. Mm. And so it's this, this connection that kind of uh, validifies me sort of, you know, say, yeah. And I transported that to whomever I'm giving that to. So it's, uh, it's for me, it's, you know, it's communicating from, from way deep with somebody. And because, you know, ingesting something eating something and being able to feed something somebody it's extremely personal it's not you know it's uh, it's so <clears throat> having somebody accept that from you with 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 pleasure and gratitude uh, you know it just validifies my whole years of standing in my knee replacements and whatever else i have <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it's an addicting feeling, yeah, it,
2: I'm is,
0: sure. it is. Hmm. I, 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 this is, I, we could talk forever.
2: I know, <laughs> I know. I was wowed to know that there is something that, you know, is not gourmet that Lydia, Lydia's, <laughs> Lydia's well, had her hand in. Well, Julian, you, you have read very well my, uh, memoirs. I have read it page by yes, page, yes. Because I that's love one it.
1: of the things that I really shared, uh, in that is that, you know, when, when, uh, I first came, I was amazed by foods, different foods, Jello, grapefruit, uh, the the Drake cakes, uh, all of these things that were packaged, that were so delicious, (laughs) that were so easy to have at that time. You know, now I find (laughs) now they're on my ex list, (laughs) But, but I have I have memories, you know, and I can almost see how how one can kind of get pulled in by it. It's so easy. You wrap the cellophane and you got the yodels with the cream in the middle and, you know, the whole thing. And uh, um, even when when I would cook as a, as a youngster at home waiting for my mother to come home so we could have dinner all together, I would, was always tempted by these cake mixes. You know, there was, you just open the package, you added an egg, and some butter, And put it in the oven, and you got this wonderful, fluffy (laughs) vanilla cake, chocolate cake, whatever it was. And every night, we had a cake for dinner, for dessert, because I thought, you know, this was great achievement here. (laughs) You know, I was baking these great cakes. So I was fascinated by all of that. Then, you know, it took me a while to make my retro movement, but I was fascinated by—and, you know, I think that um, uh, all of America, you know, this is all this packaged food and prepared food, big industry— uh, has gotten to our to our taste uh, uh, machinery here, and really, and it's really um, in a sense uh, uh, setting the bar for what we eat. But uh, I think what's what's beautiful in America that I see is people are really getting to understand that's not what they should be eating. That's not the proper nourishment. That's not the proper thing for our environment. So this consciousness to eating the way. I ate with grandma, even though that's difficult for everybody to have a grandma next door. But, uh, you know, I think the farmers are bringing their products to our stores, and the
0: more we demand it as the public, the more it will happen. Uh, Interesting what you said, whole food and full fat. Fat's no longer a dirty word. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Lydia, thank you so much, and here's to another 20 years in Kansas City.
2: Well, thank you very much. Look forward to it. It's been a joy to be able to tromp around behind you and watch your journey here. It's been been so fun. Thank you. Well, you you've been with me the whole journey. (laughs) I have. I'm very lucky that way. Thank you. We'll see you next time on Chew Diligence.